Jesus taught the crowd using a parable, a short story containing a metaphor of what he wanted them to understand. Many people at the time were farmers, so Jesus used a story that they would quickly identify with. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Some of the disciples asked Jesus why he shared this story. So Jesus told them, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So in this video, we see that when Jesus tells a parable, okay, it's a very well-known parable, the sower, the seeds, okay, and uh, the word being put out there and what the word does or doesn't do in people's lives. And at the end, we see this idea of the question kind of what kind of crop are you producing? You're intended to produce a crop. So when we look at the idea of Bible study this week and we want to know what does it mean as, as we learn to study the Bible and then how do we like apply that and live that out? Yes, Jay. The parable of the sower, yes, I did. Okay, so okay, so in this famous parable that Jesus tells about a farmer sowing seed, Jesus makes the very real point that those who bear much fruit are those in whom the seed the word of God takes root and grows. Um, there's no seed, there's no word, okay, so they don't grow, right? If you don't have the word of God in you, you don't grow, all right? No root, you don't grow. So one of the key lessons from this portion of scripture is that the word of God does something in people. It changes them, it grows them, it causes them to produce fruit for God. And this brings us to one of our my favorite verses, and it's the key verse for this week, which is Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. And so you can see on the screen, and this is the verse that we're going to focus on today. Now, we're going to look at a bunch of others in a minute, but we're going to focus on this. And in a little while, actually, we're going to do something slightly different during our service today. We're going to have a time where you actually uh, experiment with what this looks like. Uh, after all, this section of our series is about acting it out, living it. And so we need to not just understand what the Bible says about Bible study, but we need to understand how to do this. 
And so we're going to do a little bit of that together in a few minutes. But look with me at Hebrews 4.12 first off, all right? It says, The word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. And so in this passage of Scripture, we have a couple of things that we can see right away. We can see, first off, that the Bible is alive. We can see that the word is working, and, and this lines up with the video you just watched about the parable of the sower. That the seed gets sown, and it does a work in people's life when it finds fertile ground, when it finds a fertile heart. So your view of the Bible, right, what it is, what it can do, how it works, is going to determine your treatment of the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to say that again. Your view of the Bible determines your treatment of the Bible. If you don't think it's inspired and holy and from God, then how you treat it is going to reflect that. On the other hand, if you actually believe the Bible is from God, that God spoke these words and they're recorded on the pages of Scripture and they're from God, then you're going to revere the Bible. You're going to respect the Bible. You're going to want to know the Bible because you're going to want to know your Savior, your Creator, God, and you're going to want to obey the Bible. How you view the Bible is going to determine how you treat it. So let me give you an example of this from Wycliffe Bible Translators. On April 28th, which was just a few days ago, it says, We rejoice with 23 languages who now have access to Scripture. These 23 translations impact 2,850,850 people. Now, Wycliffe, okay, this is a quote from Wycliffe, all right, from their website. The reason that Wycliffe rejoices over this is because of what the Bible means to them. If the Bible wasn't the word of God to Wycliffe, then they would not be celebrating this. They wouldn't be excited that suddenly they had 23 groups of people who spoke 23 different languages that now suddenly have some of the scripture in their language that they didn't have before. Like, who cares? Well, you care if it's the word of God. You care if, like with the sower and the seed, that you need the seed to get into fertile ground so it can produce a crop. No seed, no crop. The word's the seed. No word, no crop. No salvation. So if that's your view, that's our view, that's what we believe, the Bible's the word of God, the revelation of God. The scriptures say elsewhere that without the revelation of God, the people cast off restraint and they go amok. You wonder why people are crazy and do stupid stuff? Because they don't have the revelation of God and they don't follow the revelation of God. In our Thursday after school Bible uh, program over at Eagles Nest Elementary School, the last um, couple of months, we uh, read them a couple of stories, mission stories, Hudson Taylor and then um, another woman, um, Mary, or Ma, that uh, went to uh, Nigeria. And so these stories, what we see in these stories is that when they go to these groups of people, they went to people that sometimes were cannibals. They would eat other people. But when they bring the word of God and the people begin to hear the revelation of their creator and it takes root in their heart, there is a change and they stop eating other people. You see, that is a drastic real life change. And this is what you see. This is what you see. I met um, a guy and his wife the other day. I was at the public storage uh, unit getting some things out of there for our ministry. And I met a guy and his wife. Um, kind of a providential thing. They happened to be there at the same time, and we spent an hour talking. They've been believers for about five years, and uh, he came off the streets. Um, 
you know, thug life, drug life, you know? And when he got saved, radical change. You see, here, here's the thing. There's two groups of people in the world. There are the older brothers and the younger brothers, all right, from the prodigal son story. See, I was like the older brother. I lived a good life. So there were things that did change in my life. I remember when I was um, in college, one of the secretaries, I was studying criminal justice at the time, and the secretary at the criminal justice department, when we were having a conversation one day, and I told her I'd become a Christian, et cetera, and she said, I knew there was something different about you. And I was intrigued by that because I was like, how does, like, what's different that she notices? And she said, you used to always come in here angry all the time. And so it was interesting to me that I didn't know there was a change, but there was a change going on. And that's what happens. You see, so this guy I met the other day, radical change, okay? He's not doing the drug life, the thug life, and the street life and all that anymore. People can see the change. Sometimes when you're the older brother, the change might not be as dramatic, I guess we could say. But all of us are one of the two. See, everybody knows when you're living the, uh, let's just say, the immoral life. Everybody can see that. They all know. See, that's the younger brother. The problem is the younger brother's lost. Yeah, we all know that. We can see it. But guess what? The older brother's lost, too. The older brother thinks he's good enough, and that's why he's lost. They're both lost. And so both of them need the Word of God so the Word of God can take root in their lives. Okay? Let me just show you a quick uh, visual. I've shown you some of these things before, but with Wycliffe and their translation work, okay? So look at this thing on the screen, okay? The Bible translation need at a glance, okay? So 7 billion plus people in the world, over 7,000 languages, give or take, okay? Now, with that being said, <coughs> the number of Bibles in the average U.S. household is four, okay? Four. So you've got plenty of Bibles in your home. So when I just said a minute ago, they're celebrating that 28 or 23, I mean, languages finally got scripture. You don't even know what that means because you got probably four Bibles at your house or more. All right. I got dozens of them. If you need one, you just ask me. And what do I do? I give them to you. Jay came over the other day. Is that our school ministry? Hey, can I get some Bibles? Yeah, sure. So I gave him a couple out of the trunk. Right. So that's how easy they are here. But not so. These are countries that don't even have them. Okay. And so you look at this great need, okay, and then uh, go to the next one, Mark. And so what does it cost to get a translation? Uh, I just want to give you a little perspective here, all right? And so for $500 million, okay, they could start the translation in every language that needs it. And that doesn't say finish it. It says start it, okay? And then look at the rest of this thing here. How much do we spend? We spend $2.3 billion on Big Macs. But we can't get $500 million for Bible translation. The Avengers movie in 2012 brought in $623 million. The amount of money that we spent to go to the movie would have started a Bible translation in every language that needs it. All we had to do was all skip one movie. That's it. Just think about that for a minute. 1.1 billion Starbucks net income in one month. One month, Starbucks. So if everybody stopped going to Starbucks for a month, of course there'd be a little bit of a problem at Starbucks. But 1.1 billion, how much would, would that do for translation work? Yes. 
Okay, so what you can see is that the money needed to start the translation process, okay, is available. It's not a lack of money, and it's not a lack of resources. It's a matter of what we do with it. And so when Wycliffe rejoices because 23 languages just got the scriptures, and you hear about it, you should rejoice with them. But why am I showing you this? Because what you believe about the Bible is going to determine how you treat the Bible. That's why Wycliffe people spend their life. I've met some people that spent 30 years of their life to translate the New Testament into a language so that people could have the New Testament. They don't even have the Old, just the New Testament. 30 years. And they, they would do it again. I remember watching this video, this woman. She was like, I don't know, her 70s or something. And she was literally crying. She said, if I had another life to do, I would do it again. Why? Because these people finally get the seed of the word of God so they can grow, so they can produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 fold for the Lord Jesus. That's what it's about. So I'm just showing you this because we need to understand and we need to grasp the reality of the scriptures. So Bible study. What is it? What, what does the Bible really say about Bible study? Okay, it's a term that if you just put in Bible study, you might not get any verses that say Bible study. Okay, but just like with Trinity, you put Trinity in, you're not going to get any verses that say Trinity. All right, so what does the Bible say? As we look at the topic, we're confronted with the reality that the millions of dollars that are needed, okay, and they're being spent to get the Bible into other people's hands. But what about our hands? See, you have a Bible. What do you do with it? There's many different ways that we can approach this topic, okay? But the first thing is to look at what does the Bible actually say about Bible study. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. One of the keystone, cornerstone verses in the Bible. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is God saying about his word here? He wants his word to be looked at, to be learned, to be lived out, to be memorized, meditated on, and communicated. Now, he never said the word Bible study. But these are things in the passage. Later on in this same chapter, this verse will not be on the screen, but in Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 to 25, Moses, speaking about the Scripture, says that when your son asks you questions about the Scripture, what is the meaning of this, what is the meaning of that, you are supposed to explain it to him. Well, you can't do that unless you know the Scriptures. The Word, God's revelation of mankind, was meant to be looked at, learned, and lived. Look, learn, and live. Live it out. Look, learn, live it out. At the end of Deuteronomy, in chapter 31, verses 9 to 13, Moses instructs Joshua and the people to get everyone together every seven years for a big feast during the festival of booths and to read God's word. Even the foreigners are supposed to participate. They are to listen, to learn to fear God, and carefully live out God's word. There it is again. Listen, learn, and live. For us today, it's basically the same. Okay, but we might change it to look instead of listen. If you got the audio, you can listen. But if you're studying, a lot of us do it by reading the text. 
So look, learn, and live, okay, because of our printed Bibles. It's the same principle, all right? Look in Luke chapter 4, verse 17. It says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, to Jesus, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Now, we've looked at many of these verses before, but what does this tell us? At a minimum, what did Jesus have? He had memorized. He knew the scriptures. He knew where it was, okay? He could find it in the text. And so he had it known. So let me just ask you, and don't raise your hands, but do you even know the books of the Bible? See, if you don't know the books of the Bible, I throw out a chapter, you can't find it. Do you know how the chapters and verses work? Okay, if I say 2 Chronicles 3.22, how fast is it, can you get there? How long is it going to take you? By the time you get there, am I going to be six verses later? You see, you've got to know the scriptures. Jesus knew the scriptures. That's just the basics. If you don't know that, you can't even do Bible study. In John chapter 7, verse 15, it says, The Jews were amazed and said, How does he know the scriptures? He hasn't been trained. Well, trained implies studying, right? Bible study. Yeah, Jesus had, had the best Bible teacher, right? He's God, right? And so what's the point, though? There's an expectation of studying the scriptures. Acts chapter 17, 11. The people here, the Bereans, if you read the previous verse, okay, were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if the things were so. Now, if you want a verse to star, it's this verse, okay? This is one of the verses that's used all the time, okay? The Bereans, they're known for studying the Bible. Look at what it says. They wanted to learn the word. They welcomed it with eagerness. Do you welcome the word? Do you care? Do you want to study it? Do you desire to know what it actually means? It's not all easy. Some of it's very difficult. They studied it. It says they examined it. How often? Daily, it says. They daily examined the word to see if what they had heard, heard from who? The apostle, Paul, the others, Peter, preachers today, etc., to see if it was true. You can't just listen to me. You can't just listen to preachers on TV or the radio or the web or your phone. you got to study the word. 1 Peter 1.10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to, to you searched and carefully investigated. What does searched and carefully investigated mean? It means they studied the Bible. They looked at what was going on in their life. And they're trying to figure out how does the Bible and our lives line up together. What's going on here? How the Magi know to follow the star to find Jesus in Bethlehem? The scriptures and their life, they're looking at them. How do they line up? 1 Timothy 4.13. Paul writes, he says, Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. You can't teach if you don't study. 2 Timothy 2.2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Again, you can't teach if you can't study. Okay, you can go do a search on teaching all right, and see what that says in the scripture, and that'll back up what I'm saying about the need to study the word. Able to teach means that you have to know, to learn, to study, and then be able to transfer that understanding to others or present it in such a way they can understand it and grasp it. That's why we give you uh, handouts each week. That's why there's a handout on your table right now with an outline to go along with what we're talking about. That's why there are additional verses for our entire belief series. Every week, I spend the time to print them out so that during the week you have passages to study on the same topic. So that as a church family, we're all studying the same topic all week long. We have a memory verse. We have 
what the memory verse means, the belief statement from it, and we have verses related to the topic to study throughout the week. Our Wednesday services are with the teens and the kids. The topic is the same. We just deal with it on a different aspect or a different level. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Here's another one for you to start. Okay? Be diligent. tells us it's not always going to be easy. Don't be a quitter. All right? Quitters don't win. It's pretty simple. You can't win if you quit. All right? The goal here is that God approves of your work. And the work includes correctly teaching the word. This requires study and often lots of it. Look again at what he says. Not ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. That means not everybody correctly teaches the word. Well, how do you correctly teach it? You've got to study the word. 2 Timothy 4.13. When you come, this is Paul writing, he says, Bring the cloak that I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Now this is a great verse for those of us that love to study, because Paul is saying, bring me my books. Yeah, Paul had books too. Do we know what books these are? No, we don't really know. Probably some of them are scripture scrolls. Probably some of them are, are something else. Who knows what they are, right? But Paul says, bring me my books, bring me the scriptures probably in this passage. Why? Because he wants to read and study them. He wrote about half of the New Testament through the Holy Spirit. What does this tell us about the guy? He studies. He knew scripture. And he studied scripture. Look with me at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. That's why we study it. It's from God. And it's profitable... Useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we have good work that has shown up, or work that has shown up multiple times in these, in these passages related to Bible study. Okay, This verse indicates that God's word will teach you to have correct beliefs and behaviors, and it will correct your wrong beliefs and behaviors, so that you're able to do what God asks you to do. The implication is that without this training from God's word, you cannot and will not be able to do what he's going to ask you to do. And so how do you get this training from God's word? You read, you study, you meditate, etc. You've got to be in the word. One more verse, okay? In John 13, 17, it says, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now that ties into something we're going to talk about in a minute, our little process here, but... If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You see, remember our Believe series, 30 weeks, right? The first 10 is about thinking. Okay, it's not enough to know something. The second 10, which is what we're in, is about the acting, putting it into practice. Okay? I know how to do Bible study. The question is, do I do it? For you, the question is, do you know how to do Bible study? If not, you need to learn. We're going to take care of some of that today. And then the question is, do you do Bible study? It's not enough that you know how to do it. You've got to do it. Do you do Bible study? So Bible study, okay? What's the difference, okay, between Bible study and these other things that we do with the Bible study? It's clear that um, God expects us to study the Bible. We just looked at these verses, okay? But we haven't answered the question of what the difference is between these, okay? And so let me show you. Or kind of explain a little bit, just briefly, what they are. So look at this next slide here. I got 
several different aspects. I have read the word, memorize the word, meditate the word, and pray the word. Okay? These are different things you can do with the scriptures. These are different things you should do with the scriptures. Okay? You should do all of these things and study the word, which is not on the screen. Okay? So what are these? Well, reading the word is just what it says. You read the Bible. Okay? So <clears throat> when you read the Bible, it could be a little bit or a lot. But regardless, you're reading the Bible. One of the things you have to understand is that the Bible is God's story. Okay? It is a story. It's God's story. If you're reading a book at school, teacher assigns it, or you're just reading a book because you like to read it, or you'll understand this one a little bit better, you're watching a movie. If you only watch five minutes of the movie, how much do you really grasp? Not much. If you didn't see the beginning or the end, and you just saw a clip in the middle, it could be pointless to you. You could have no idea what's even going on. But see, that's what happens. So we get Christians all the time. They just flip open the Bible, and they read a verse in the middle, and that's their verse for the day. They get no clue how the star story started. They get no clue how the story ends. They get no clue what the verse is even doing in the middle. You wouldn't do that with a movie. You didn't, wouldn't do that with another book, but we do it with the Bible. And the Bible's written from God himself. That's messed up. So you need to learn how to read, okay? You need to read the Word. You should read whole books together, okay? There's different types of books. We'll talk about them in a minute. But you should read a whole book together. Genesis is one book. It's 50 chapters long. It's a story within a story. The whole Bible is one story, Genesis to Revelation. Genesis is a story within that whole story, and Genesis has 50 chapters. So if you've only read part of it, well, you don't know the whole story of the story of Genesis. You only know part of it. Exodus continues Genesis, by the way. In Hebrew, the word is and. So Genesis ends, and the first word in Exodus is and. And the first word in Leviticus is and. And the first word in Numbers is and. And the first word in Deuteronomy is and. Because they continue. It's one long story. All of these pieces fit together. It's not enough to just read a verse. Unless you read the next verse, and then the next verse, and the next verse. So you need to pick a, a chunk of text that you can manage. Okay? You might just need to start with a couple verses. That's fine. The point is, don't stop with a couple verses. So if you're going to read, if you're in the New Testament, you want to read the book of James, fine, read James. Okay? But read the book. Don't just read a verse or two or a paragraph. Read through the book because the book goes together. Okay? The book is another thing. The, um, the book of James is part of the story from Genesis to Revelation, but it's actually, it's not a story book. It's a letter book. It's a letter written to a group of people at a certain time and a certain place because there was some situation thing going on. Are you all with me so far? So that's reading. Number two is memorizing the word. Okay, that's why we give you these cards, okay? All right? Now, there's more than one way to memorize. If you do rote memory, that's where you take the card, you put it in your mirror, you look at it every day, and you make yourself memorize it. And that's good. I don't like memorizing that way. So if you don't like doing that, it's okay. I don't like it either. Some of you, that works for you. Some of you told me you got like your whole mirror. You can't see your face anymore in your mirror because you've plastered it with all these cards. Okay, that's awesome, as long as you're learning them. Otherwise, they're not doing anything, right? So for me, the way that I have memorized most of the scriptures that I know is simply from reading and studying the Bible repeatedly. And when verses just literally, sometimes they jump off the page and just wrap themselves around you. Like they just, they just strike you with so much meaning that it doesn't leave my mind again. 
Maybe your mind doesn't work like that. I don't know. But for me, these are the things. And so reading is not memorizing, and memorizing is not reading. The third one is meditating. The word meditate, okay, does not mean that you clear your mind of everything. It's the opposite. To meditate means that you continue to think about the verse. You meditate on it. You ruminate on it. You keep chewing on it like a cow chews the grass, swallows it, spits it back up, chews it some more, swallows it, spits it back up. You're, you're thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking about the verse, trying to understand it as much as possible and get as much out of it as you can. That's meditating. Okay? It's not clearing your mind. Right? It's not emptying your mind. It's filling your mind with the scripture. And the last one is praying the word. Okay? There's whole books to help you with this. You can read a passage of scripture and then you, pray, you can pray it back to God. Okay? When you read about in Psalm 51, when David confesses his sin, well, that's a perfect time for you to pray and do what to God? Confess your sin. So you learn from the scripture and you apply it immediately. You pray back to God and you confess your sin. All right, so you pray the scriptures. But guess what? None of those are what? No. None of those are, what's our topic for today? None of those are Bible studies. Stanley? Probably. Yeah, I don't know the situation, but what's what's supposed to happen is that there should be forgiveness. If, if it's between two people, if there's a sin between two people, there should be forgiveness between the two people. Forgiveness means letting go, which means you're not bringing it up. And, and because you've let it go, you can now be reconciled to each other. So if a sin is forgiven, it should not be repeatedly brought back up. Okay? So if you have... The one kind of, I don't know, exception type thing in that situation is that if there is a habitual sin or a repeated sin in your life that keeps coming up, then a good friend would show you that that is uh, a habitual sin. Like, yes, I know that we forgave this earlier, but you keep doing this. So we need to do something in your life to fix this. So that's like kind of the one exception to, to that situation, if you will. But the exception is only because you're still trying to fix you're trying to help them with their problem. You're not bringing it up for the sake of bringing it up. You're not bringing it up because you're angry. You're not bringing it up to shove it in their face. You're bringing it up as an accountable relationship to help them get over it because you see a pattern. Yes? Uh, God has rightful jealousy. God does. Okay? When, when you start to sin... God has rightful jealousy because you're his child and sin is wrapping itself around you and pulling you astray. And so God gets jealous because you're his child. So, yeah, God has righteous jealousy. So you can have that over, um, uh, I don't know, I guess family members. If you see a family if, or, or someone you love and, and uh, someone starts leading them astray, that would be a similar application. But how you and I normally have jealousy, no, that's sin. Yeah, we normally have just sinful jealousy. Um, and so, reading the word, memorizing the word, meditating the word, and praying the word. Okay, none of these is Bible study, okay? So, Bible study is a little bit different, all right? What you could really say is that here's the difference. Pen and paper. What do I mean? Pen and paper. When you're doing Bible study, you got pen and paper out. Because you're studying, Okay, and we're going to do this in just a minute. That's why there's a bunch of paper on your table and there's pens on your table, all right? And so 
just as a recap, okay? We've seen that we are to, to listen or look at the word, learn the word, live the word, okay? And this corresponds pretty accurately with what is commonly known as the observe, interpret, and apply method of Bible study. And that's kind of what we're going to look at. So I want to look at the Bible study process now. All right? So how do you actually do this? All right? It's not enough that we talk about it. It's not enough that I show you that the scriptures basically command it. You need to know how do you do this. All right? So <clears throat> one of the things I want us to understand, just briefly, is the books of the Bible. Okay? So I have several slides here that I'm going to show you. All right, the first one looks like a bookcase with a bunch of books, okay? That's, that's the Bible, all right? Now, I'm going to do a simplified version of things today, okay? We can make everything I'm saying much more complex, okay? I've tried to simplify it, and sometimes I can do that well, and sometimes I have difficulty because there's so much I want to say. But one of the things I want you to realize is, First, on the left side, you have Old Testament and New Testament over there. So you got to realize, first off, that the Bible as we have it, we, we divide it. And it's not the best words, but that's what everyone calls them for now. So Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament is before Jesus. New Testament is after Jesus. So just think of it that way. The Bible is two parts. It's before Jesus and after Jesus. The Old Testament is before Jesus was born. The New Testament is after Jesus was born. It's that simple. You all with me? That's pretty much how we divide our whole calendar in the world anyway, right? So it's before and after Jesus, Old Testament, New Testament. The other thing that I want us to look at here is how these books are, are kind of arranged. And I'm going to go super simple with you on this, okay? And so um, go to the next slide, please. Um, next one, please. All right. Now, this is probably a little harder for you to see and has a lot more detail on it, but it has the three words that I want up on the top right. So for the Old Testament, okay, I just want you to think of three things. History, poetry, and prophecy. Look at the top right of my screen up there. Okay, that's it. Three words. Okay, there's history books, and what word is right there in history if you take off the first two letters? Story. story. Good job. So history is story. Most of the Bible is story. Okay, the technical term is narrative, but it's a story. It, there's a lot of history stuff in it, but it's story, okay? And it's God's story, his story, right? Think of it that way, his story, God's story, right? So most of it is story. The second word is poetry. There's a bunch of poetry, okay? Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, poetry. There's also little mini poems scattered around, all right? And then prophecy, that's it. So the whole Old Testament, you just have three things, okay? you got story, poetry, and prophecy. That's it. All right? Now look at the next slide for the New Testament. What three words are across the top? There's only one of those that's new. Which one? Okay. So instead of poetry, we simply replace poetry in the New Testament with letters. So you still got history. So both Old and New Testament start off with history. Why? Because that's the story. Then they go to something else. In the old, they go to poetry. In the new, they go to letters. And then they go to prophecy. That's it. Now, why do I tell you that? Because if you're going to go rent a movie today, and I ask you, what kind of movie you want to watch? You might say action. You might say comedy. 
You might say drama. You might say chick flick. You might say sci-fi. Okay? Whatever. These are different. It's called genres, but they're different types. Okay? So here's the point. When you're reading poetry, just like when you're watching a comedy, you don't expect the same things as when you watch a sci-fi movie, right? They're different, right? Different types of movies. Y'all with me on this? Yeah. So you got story, you got poetry, and you got prophecy. Three different types, okay? In the New Testament, you've got story or history, and you got letters, and you got prophecy. So they're different. You'll get different things in them. You should expect different things. You can't read them exactly the same. If you read a poem, just like you read history, you're going to ruin the poem, right? Think about it. Some guy writes a poem for his wife, and you just read it like a piece of history. You just ruined his poem, right? You just took all the beauty out of it, right? Poetry is like flowery language, and it's got rhymes, and it's got all this type of stuff, right? It's motion, right? Lots of emotion and images and metaphors and similes, right? And so you just, you just read it like, like a story, and you just ruin it all. You've got to be careful. All right? So if you flip open your Bible and you just want to read a proverb, you're like, oh, I've only got like one minute this morning, but I want to read something before I go to school. And you just flip open and you read a proverb. Well, what's Proverbs. It is. There's poetry. So don't read the Proverbs like it's history, because it's not. And don't read it like it's prophecy, because it's not. It's poetry. Well, that's a great question. And I can only give you a quick answer. Otherwise, we'll be here all day. So history or story, that's why I keep saying story. When I say story, you know what story is, right? You, you understand. Well, even without the word history, if I just say story, you understand, right? You tell me a story, we both know what it means. You don't even have to give me a definition. We know what story is, right? Okay. Poetry, I think you're all old enough that we all pretty much know what poetry is too, right? If I put a story on, in front of you and I put a piece of poetry in front of you, you'd be able to tell me which is which, right? Okay. So then you have prophecy. Prophecy is specific words that God gave to a man called a prophet, okay? And it could have to do with the future or it could have to do with right now. But either way, it's God telling his people normally to fix something. That's what it's about. Yeah. Right. Now, remember, you just said Paul, right? So this is a good example. Let's everybody tr keep track on this. Paul is in Old and New Testament. New. New Testament. Good. So New Testament, we have what three types? Um, history, letters, prophecy, and, and, and story. He just said it, right? History, letters, and prophecy, okay? So when Paul writes, which is it? Um, it's letters. So Paul writes letters. So, see, that's not one of the three in the Old Testament, right? So we didn't talk about those yet. Letters is a new one, all right? So in the New Testament, you got history or story, you got letters, and you got prophecy. So if I put in front of you on a table a story and a poem, you could pick the difference, right? Okay. Now, I've told you what a prophecy is. So I said it's when God tells a person something, and he's supposed to tell somebody else, and it's usually to fix their bad actions. So if I put that there, you could probably also pick it up also. Or if it's about the future, it would be what? Prophecy, right? Now, 
And then if I put on the table a letter I wrote to my mom, would you be able to figure out which was the letter? Yes, because how? I would put dear mom on it, right? And at the bottom, I'd probably put love Kevin, right? I wouldn't say Pastor Kevin. She's my mom, right? It's just Kevin, right? I'm not a Pastor Kevin to her. I'm what? I'm her son. I'm Kevin, right? Yeah, exactly. So think about it. Paul writes all these letters in the New Testament, and some other people write letters. And if you look at them, what you'll find is in the very beginning, they usually say who it's to and who it's from. Okay? Now, we put who it's from at the very bottom, but they put both up in the beginning. So you look at any of the letters. So remember, we're talking New Testament if it's letters, right? You look, and they're going to say who it's to. The Philippians. The believers in Thessalonica, right? That's what they say. They always say who it's to. That's how we know it's a letter. And they say who it's from. Does that make sense? Yeah. Nope. They use letters. And that's why it's called a letter. It follows the letter format. <clears throat> See, if, if your teacher tells you to write a poem, you don't put dear mom. Right? You put, roses are red. Why? Exactly. See? Why? Because you know you're going to try to rhyme and you're going to make it flowery and all this type of stuff, right? No. If your teacher tells you to write a letter to your friend, you're going to say, dear Jay. Dear Jay. Blah, 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 blah. Right? What? Why didn't you put roses are red? Because you're not writing poetry. See? So you know this. But when we go to the Bible, we're like, oh, yeah, none of that matters. No, all of that matters. That's why you guys that are in school, you need to learn everything you possibly can from your English teachers and your history teachers. Because if you'll do that, you'll be able to understand the Bible so much better than everybody else. All right? You read your Bible in English, right? So you need to understand English, how English works. Am I making sense? You all with me on this? All right? All right. We took a little longer than I was going to on that, but that's good. The other thing, I'm not going to go into this right now, but... Um, the other thing is understanding where these books take place in history. Just because it's in a certain place in your Bible doesn't mean it occurred there historically. In other words, they're not the books in your Bible are not put there in chronological order. Okay, they're put more in theological order. Okay, so they're grouped for theology reasons, not. Because that's when they were written, all right? Yeah. They worry about it. You know why? <clears throat> I think because they missed the main point. And so I'll tell you right now, the main point of the book of Revelation. Very simple. Jesus is coming back, so you better live like it. That's the point. Jesus is coming back, so you better live like it. And you don't need to be afraid if you're his child. That's it. That's what the whole book's about. You don't need to be afraid of the world, of what's going on. You don't need to live in fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. All right. So now let me show you one more slide. All right. This is called the hermeneutical spiral. Right. Some of you, this is this is. I just went over your head probably, but for others, I just want you to understand something. When you start to study the Bible, you start with a verse. So that's Hebrews four twelve, and we'll come back to that in just a minute. Okay, and that's the bottom. That's the target text. Hebrews four twelve.
But see, that verse is not by itself. It's in a paragraph, and if you go above that, it's in an entire what? Well, book, and then it's in an author's writing, okay? And then it's in the whole New Testament, and then in the whole Bible, and then on top of the Bible, there's a geographic background. In other words, there's a situation thousands of years ago that it was written in, and there's a historical background and a cultural background. So guess what? All of those things are part of Bible study, right? When the Bible says a phrase and you don't understand what it means, you know why? That's because you didn't live back then. That's because you live today in the 21st century, and you would say it differently, right? You all with me on this? If someone says that's the bomb, what does that mean? The best, yeah. No one would have said that 500 years ago, right? We talk different. Language changes. And so Bible study is hard. It's hard work. It takes a lot of mental sweat, okay? You might have physical sweat in the football field. Okay, I don't play football. I, I play Bible study, all right? So I have a lot of mental sweat, all right? Mental sweat is very, very tiring, okay? So that's what it is. All right. <clears throat> so what I want to do now is we're going to jump back to a quick review, and then in a second we're going to do an exercise together, okay? So <clears throat> Orlando International Airport, right? O-I-A. That's how you're going to remember this. Observe, interpret, apply. O-I-A. Observe, interpret, apply. All right? The other way you can do, I like it, but I'm not going to try to overthrow what is the established norm. <laughs> um, observe, okay? Look at the word and what does it say, okay? So it's OIA, it's also uh, look, learn, and live, okay? But observe, okay? What do you do in this portion? You, okay, Observation. Bible? Yes. What does that mean? It means you look at the word. You look at what it says, okay? What does it say? That's all you do in this part, okay? It's called observation. You're observing or you're looking, okay? The next part is interpretation or interpret, okay? OIA, observe, interpret, apply. You learn from the word, Okay? What does it mean? You've already seen what it says. What does it mean? Now, what's the difference between what it says and what it means? What it says is like... Exactly. Does it mean he loves everything, including like the ants and the trees? Does it mean he only loves certain people? What does that mean? That's what, exactly, right? So you got the words. Now, what does he mean by that, right? Okay. And the third part is apply, okay? This is where you live the word. Wait, why does it matter, okay? Why does it matter, and how do I live it out, okay? How do you live it out? Remember, if you only know it in your head, it doesn't matter. You got to live it out, okay? So with those three things in mind, here's what we're going to do now. All right, this is a little bit different of a service for us. So let's put Hebrews 4.12 back up on the board. Okay, we're going to look at the verse. And then I'm going to show you a visual, and then we're going to put the verse back on the screen, and we're going to spend a few minutes looking. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to turn the, the mic off, and we're going to stop recording, and we're going to look at actual how to do Bible study. So here's the verse, again, okay? 
The word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. Now, I probably should just stop right there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prime you a little bit, okay, just for time's sake today. This verse, okay, along with the next verse, indicates that the, the word does some things, okay? So let's look at this visual that I put together for you, okay, about some of what it does. Okay, according to the text, it judges, it analyzes, and it dissects your motives and your thoughts, okay? Now you can see that in the text. It says it is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. Okay, now I've studied it out a little bit. That's why it says what it says on the screen. Okay, but here's what we're going to do. Okay, what are the three parts of Bible study? Okay, observe, interpret, and apply. Okay, OIA, Orlando International Airport, OIA. Observe, interpret, apply. Okay, <clears throat> look, learn, live. Right, OIA. All right, so here we go. I'm going to put the verse back on the board. We're going to, in a second, we're going to stop the recording, all right? And then you're going to open your Bibles to Hebrews 3 and 4. Because remember the image I showed you before. You have a verse, but does the verse occur by itself? No, it's in the middle of a chapter, right? And the chapter's in the middle of a book. So we got to see what is going on in this verse and around this verse, okay? So... Um, let's put the verse back up on the screen. Okay, so what you're seeing here then as what you've looked at in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4 is that the author of Hebrews brings up what happened to these people 4,000 years ago when God's word came to them and they didn't listen. They got judged and ultimately died in the wilderness. Now, let's put this together, okay? So, you got that, okay? You observed, you interpreted, all right? We've got to get to the apply part in just a second. So, when we have our verse for today, Hebrews 4.12, that says the word of God is living and effective. So, God's word isn't dead, unlike those people that died in the wilderness, okay? It's effective, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It goes where nothing else can go, and it's able to judge the ideas and thoughts of your heart. The next verse talks about how it lays everything naked and bare. So, God's word judges now you're challenged in chapter 3 and 4 of hebrews that god's word has come to you just like god's word has come to the wilderness israelites but when god's word came to them what did they do they hardened their heart and rebelled they did not soften their hearts and believe they did not obey and trust the lord and so they died and so what is the author of hebrews saying to you and to me today he's saying God's word has come to you today, and you need to do what with it? Soften your heart, believe, and obey. Oh, do it. Otherwise, it will do what to you? It will judge you, and you will die just like those in the wilderness did. Because God's word does what? It judges. So God's word does two things. Okay? God's word comes, and it brings the promise of life. So in the seed, the video you watched in the beginning, right? When the seed takes root, it brings forth new life and new crops. But when the seed doesn't take root, you know what it does? It judges, and it will be your judgment, which, will, yes, you will die in your sin. 
And so now when you see this verse, you have a much fuller understanding because we went to the scriptures. We observed what it said. We looked in the book. Then we learned what it meant, the interpretation. And lastly, we looked at the application. How do you live it out? And so if you leave here today and you continue to reject God's word, then you are like the people in the wilderness, and you can only expect one thing, death and judgment. But if you soften your heart and today accept God's word, then you can expect one other thing, love, and for God to use the word to grow a crop in you, 30, 60, or 100-fold. So the question is up to you as to what you're going to do with it, but that is how you look at the scriptures and then you apply this. Stanley. He was, but the leader can't force the people. Right. Can I force you to do Bible study? No. Okay. We've looked at the scriptures today. I've taught you. We've modeled it. We, we took time to actually demonstrate how to do this. I've talked to you since I've known you about reading the Bible and doing Bible study. But it's up to you as to whether you're going to. You either soften your heart and do it or you harden your heart and reject it. That's your choice, right? Same thing with the, with the Israelites with Moses, okay? And so <clears throat> let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, Okay? We're almost done here. I just have a couple slides. And 512, he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk and not solid food. Okay? This is back to Bible study again. To be a teacher, you have to know the word. The author of Hebrews is now saying, you should be able to teach other people the word. If you've been coming here for a couple of years then you should be able to teach other people the word. And the author is saying, but instead you got to be fed like a baby. You're still learning your ABCs when you should be reading and doing Bible study. You can't, you can't read and do Bible study if you don't know your ABCs. You can't train other people if you don't know it. Are you with me? Yes. Um, that's a good question. Uh, teaching incorrectly is probably worse because you're leading people astray. Okay? However, they're both wrong. So, you really can't use the lesser of two evils excuse because they're both wrong. Alright? So, now, <clears throat> let me uh, wrap up with Psalm 95, verse 7 to 8. This is a verse that if we had continued to do Bible study, we would have looked at. Let's look at it, and you will immediately see the connection with Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as at Meribah, as on that day at Massah in the wilderness. Now, this is a psalm. Okay, so this is older, older New Testament, old, old and what type of literature? Oh, literature. What, what did you say? 
poem, poetry, yes, okay? So this is poetry, okay, that has picked up on something that happened back in the wilderness, which would be in the book of Numbers, which is what kind of literature? History, very good. So you have, it first occurred as a story in history, but then it's being used in the Psalms, okay, as poetry. But then we just saw the author of Hebrews use it in the New Testament in a letter. So you see, this is how the Bible interconnects and builds on itself. You can't use it in Hebrews if it wasn't first in Numbers. And you can't use it in Psalms if it wasn't first in Numbers. So ultimately, if we were going to study this further, we would have gone back to Numbers and looked at the real story. We would then have looked at Psalm 95, and we would have seen that it's actually in many other places in the Bible as well. And so when you start to realize this, you see Hebrews 4.12 isn't just a verse that sits by itself anymore. It's connected with all of Hebrews. It's connected with the whole New Testament. It's connected with the whole Old Testament. It's connected with all of God's story. And so... Once you start Bible study, unless you choose to stop, you will never stop until you die because you will never finish studying and finding out the great depths of God's word. That's how much is in there. <clears throat> All right. So in conclusion, you need to know the word so you can know the word. That's a play on words. Know the word so you can know the word. In the New Testament, in God, John's gospel, Jesus is the word. The point of Bible study is not to get super smart. The point of Bible study is to know your God. And so that you can share your God with other people. That's the point of Bible study. So our key idea, number 13 for today, related to Bible study, is that we pray to God to know him, to find direction for my life, and to lay my request before him. <clears throat> Bible study. You start it with prayer. You end it with prayer. You find direction for your life. This is wrapping Bible study and prayer together. Hebrews 4.12, again, as we close out, the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. God's word has come to you today. You choose what you do with it. You need to learn to do Bible study, observe, interpret, apply. Look, learn, and live. And that is purposeful because the opposite of living is dying. Choose today whom you will serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your revelation that you have chosen to love us by showing us your word and revealing it to us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand and join me in worship.